Today's message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Pastor Jason Swanson is our senior pastor here at RBC, and this message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning service times. Pastor Jason is currently in a series he's calling a walk through the book of Acts, Jesus at Work. Pastor Jason is in part five of his walk through the book of Acts, and today he's in chapter two, looking at the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell upon the apostles. Let's join Pastor Jason now in his sermon entitled, The Miracle of Pentecost. Here's Jason. Well, good morning. Welcome once again to to Rancho Baptist Church. Very excited to have you all here this morning. I am Pastor Jason. And we are continuing through the, the wonderful book of Acts. I, I have to start off today with a, a, a bit of a confession, because as you look at your, your notes in your bulletin, if you look at your notes in your bulletin and, and you're used to using them, you're going to need to modify them a little bit, because there's no way I am going to get through 13 verses today in Acts chapter 2. The first four verses are too jam-packed of wonderful truth that uh, God has been just teaching me more and more about that I'm excited to to give you this morning. And I don't want to shortchange the first four verses and run through 100 miles an hour. And and so, um, yeah, I'm only going to get through the first four verses. So you can scratch off the Acts 2, 1 to 13. This is the miracle of Pentecost. But we're only going to do 1 to 4. And you can mark off the third outline point and it was going to say the crowd gathers. Well, we can look at the crowd gathering next week. <laughs> By God's wonderful grace, if we are here next week. Well, if you're like me, uh, a lot of this is familiar to you. And what we're going to look at today in Acts chapter 2, you've probably read before. You, you've probably heard it preached on before, time and time again. And and to be completely honest, I thought I was just going to go through it and 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 get to verse 13 and and be done. And and the, the outline that I came up with made sense to me, and I thought this works out really well. And, and yet, the more that I kept digging into this, the more the Lord just kept exposing things to me that. Um, I don't think I grasped before the full significance of. Now, if I were to ask each of you, okay, in this room, who who are Los Angeles Laker fans? No doubt I'd get a you know a, a room full of, of amen, hearty, yeah, you betcha. Without Kobe, with Kobe, longtime fan, what, whatever. If I were to ask who who are the fans of of the Dodgers? No doubt there'd be lots of guys here, girls, everybody. You know, we're like a Dodger nation. No, okay, no, we're not a Dodger nation. <laughs> okay, how about the Rams? How about the Raiders? How about the Niners? Wow, okay, never mind. I, what, whatever team you're a fan of, that you're a fan of that team. But what about if I were to ask you if you are a fan of the church? what would your response be? Yeah. I think at times, I, I, I'm not so certain that I've been a fan of the church. 
At times, I think I, I actually minimize the church and downplay it. And yet, what we're going to see here in, in just these first four verses, just how important Christ's church is. That's what this is all about. You may think that Acts chapter 2 is about some guys coming and, and teaching in tongues. You may think it's a, about these tongues of fire, as of fire. You may even think it's about this noise that's like, like a wind. But it's not about any of that. It's about Christ establishing His church, the birth of the church, and about the coming of the Holy Spirit like no other time before. And because of this, this it's, it's huge. And that's what God is trying to communicate in these first four verses. So rather than me talking and talking, let, let's look at God's Word. And let's let God's Word speak for itself as it informs our minds. And hopefully, what we'll come away with is a bigger, better view of Christ's church and his the wonderful Holy Spirit and the work that He does in and through us and how He indwells, seals those that are His. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your word now. Anything that is a distraction... You, even if it's me, Lord, and I am the distraction, then, then, then set me aside and allow your word to speak to us. To guide us into all truth, Spirit, that you would do that. And that your word would be proclaimed boldly and truthfully now. By your spirit and your spirit alone. For it's him who we depend upon. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So by way of a little bit of an introduction, for those of you that haven't been with us since the beginning, we, we, we didn't start here in, in, in chapter 2. Of course, there's chapter 1. And, and chapter 1 is all preparation. It's all pointing forward to a certain day. Verse, verse 5, chapter 1, Jesus says this, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, when? Not many days from now. And what we're going to see is we're going to see this day. We're going to see that the day that Jesus forecasted, that Jesus prophesied, that Jesus said will come, does come. Because everything that God says is going to happen, does happen. There's many things you can't take to the bank. That is one thing you can. That you can trust. Every time that God's Word says that this is going to happen, that is what happens. And we see God's sovereignty in play over and over and over again in the book of Acts. And today we're going to see that as well. And so what what Jesus was pointing forward to was was this event that was going to happen. The event we know is, is, is called Pentecost. But Pentecost really is the birth of the church, Christ's church. And if we're looking at the, the, the history of God's redemptive plan, God's work in this world, 
you really could break it down into three different events that would be considered the most important events. And no doubt, you'd think, okay, the most important event obviously was Christ dying on the cross, purchasing salvation. Amen. That was His redemptive act. If that didn't happen, man, why are we here, right? Why do we live the way that we live? No, He he came for a purpose and that was like no other time in, in the history of mankind that literally God became man and dwelt among us and died to purchase our redemption, to bring us back to God for those of us that have truly been saved. But there's two other key events too. And one takes place before Christ's coming. And that goes all the way back to Genesis and and the creation account. Because if that didn't happen, then we wouldn't be here. There wouldn't be a need for a Savior. And, and, and you know. The reality too that, that in that there's, there's the fall of man that makes the need for the Savior viable. It had to happen. We needed saving. But history doesn't just involve those two events. And, and, and God's redemptive plan and purpose there's another event that we're going to look at today. And, and, and it takes place on Pentecost and it is the birth of the church. So let's look at that. Starting with verse 1, Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Not sure what, if your Bible translates the first word as when or not, but that is a good translation. This should be a time word, but, but that had come, when the day of Pentecost had come, is a little weak in the translation, actually. There, there's more involved than just a, a day coming. It, it, it's actually from, from the Greek. It's this idea of arriving at exactly the timely moment that an event was to happen. And it's not talking about Pentecost because Pentecost, we're going to find out, had already been happening over and over and over again the nation of Israel. It wasn't not the first time that Pentecost happened. But this was the first time that the birth of the church happened. This was the first time that the Holy Spirit, as we're going to see, comes and indwells believers permanently and baptizes them and places them in Christ. And the church is born. This is the first time that we see this. And so there is, even right from the beginning, Luke giving us a, a glimpse into the sovereign purposes of God. That this was Christ's idea. I think a good translation for this would have been when the promised day of Pentecost had come. When the day that God had planned had arrived, this is that day. This is God saying, this is necessary. This is the day that I have planned for this to happen. But if you're like me, when and when we're look, looking at this, really all we're looking at in verse 1 is the setting. We're going to look at the when, we're going to look at the where, and we're going to look at the who. When this happened, Pentecost, if you're like me, you're, you maybe you, you think that, that this is the first Pentecost. And that when you think of Pentecost, you think of, well, that's, well, that's when the Holy Spirit came. And that's when those guys spoke in that, in all those different languages. 
and that's I, I think there was something about tongues or something, and then I think maybe there was something about a wind, and and that's Pentecost, and that's how you equate it. Or, or maybe I'm the only one that, that, that has never fully grasped the significance of Pentecost. But you know what? That is not what Pentecost is. This is not the first Pentecost. Pentecost had, had been going along for years and years and years. And, and the Greek word Pentecost literally means 50th day. And the reason why that means, why, why it means 50th day is, is because it goes all the way back to Leviticus. Chapter 23, if you want to put this in your notes, Leviticus 23, 15 to 16. And the Lord told them to have this feast, this, this, this festival of the first fruits. Later it became called the Feast of Weeks. And it was to happen right after they would have Passover. And then they would have this seventh Sabbath, or, or seven Sabbaths, which means Seven weeks of seven days, and that's where you get to the 49. You following me? And then the day after the seventh Sabbath is the 50th day. 49 plus 150. So God said, okay, after you guys celebrate the Passover, then you're going to have this time of, of harvest. You're going to have these seven weeks of, of harvest and celebration. And after that happens, I, I want you to have this thing that, that's called the Festival of the First Fruits. And I actually want you to take some of that harvest and I want you to make two loaves of bread. And I want you to offer them as a wave offering. But recognize, these two loaves of bread, they're made with leaven. And, and that's not common in the Scriptures. Normally you see things being made without leaven. Why? Because leaven represents sin. So, so why would... Would God way back in the Old Testament start this process, this practice, this, this day of Pentecost where, where he's symbolizing that somehow sin is involved? And if you're following me, you recognize, wow, when the, when the birth of the church happens, what's it full of? Sinners. Sinners saved by grace. And, and perhaps that's the reason why we see leavened bread offered. And, and, and maybe the reason why instead of we see a whole bunch of pieces cut up and given out like we do in communion, the reason why we see two loaves is because what Christ is doing in building His church and, and, the, and birthing His church here is He is unifying us as a body. And that's what we're going to see today. And, and I know that at times we may not act like we're a complete unified body. But that does not mean that that is not what Christ has already done and accomplished. It's sometimes we're a little bit off in the way that we function as His body, as His bride. So, so that is the when of, of Pentecost, but, but actually it nuances even more later. And, and what, what happens is at, at some point, the Israelites, they, they do a little bit of math themselves. And they say, hey, you know what? Moses, he was at Mount Sinai for how many days? Forty days. And then when he came down, what did he have? He had the law. And when they added all that up, they came up with the, about the time that Moses arrived with the law in his hands was probably about the day of Pentecost. And so they, they added into the, this festival of the first fruits this idea of a, of a memorial 
of the law, of the giving of the law. And so that's what they would have been thinking as far as meeting for Pentecost. Let's remember the law. Let's remember God's goodness to us in the Feast of Weeks and, 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 and offering the, the first fruits of our labor, recognizing that God's going to bless us. But we believers, we look at this Pentecost entirely different. We look at it as the first. The first day of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean as far as like the first fruits? Well, it means He's our inheritance. He's the guarantee of what? Of what will be. That can never be taken from us. That He is the deposit, the down payment, that, that what Christ purchased on the cross will come to fruition, that we will one day be in the kingdom with God forever. That is if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Please don't walk away from here this morning and think, oh, I'm good. Because maybe you're not. Because maybe when we look at this, and we see this picture of, of who we are as a church, that you're not included. That honestly, when all of this happens and the tongues come and they land on every believer, that that tongue hasn't come and, and it wouldn't have landed on you. Why? Because you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior. Coming to church is what saves you. Trusting in Christ and Him alone is what saves you. So the who, who, who are the who? You'll see in verse 1, they were all together. All. I, I, I take the all to mean all. I know, I'm really deep. <laughs> but I believe it was all 120. How, how do I know it wasn't just the 12? Well, because we're going to see next week that when these languages start coming out of these guys, and I believe that's what happened. It wasn't like they were thinking. The Holy Spirit was controlling them. They didn't know what these languages were. But God just miraculously allowed them to speak these languages. There was much more than 12 of those languages represented there. So it had to be more than just the 12 apostles. It had to be all of them, including women. Where was the place? Well, all all we see in verse 1 is that they were were together in one place. But in verse 2, we see that they were in a house. And we, we know from last week that that where they were gathering was the upper room. And some people, some commentators and scholars, they go all off on all sorts of tangents and say, oh no, it was the temple, it was this and that. Well, Luke never uses the word house in Greek for temple, so, so he's not talking about the temple. He's talking about the house. Most likely it was the upper room, and it would have been a big room in order to fit 120 people in it, no doubt. But I, I wonder if it was close to the temple precinct, close to the temple area, so when all of what we're about to look at happens, they were within earshot of being able to hear what was happening. And that's what attracted the crowd, perhaps. But let's look. Let's look deeper away from the setting now. And let's see what happens first. And what we're going to see is we're going to see that heaven acts. Amazingly so. In a, in a way that, that you, you would never just commonly see. Even though some of the pictures seem kind of common, the symbols, but, but 
this is no common day. This is no normal experience. This, again, is from heaven. That's where it has its basis from. That's where it starts from. And suddenly, there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. By way of just getting you all thinking into the mind of the way that I've been thinking for the last week, I have one question I want to throw out at you, but please don't answer it right away. I want the text of Scripture to inform your answer on what you think about this question, okay? Here's the question. Did the 120 that we're gathering here, that we're now going to look at, did they feel the presence of the Holy Spirit? Did they feel it or Him? I I, want to remind us all that just a little bit, as we look at the Old Testament, and I'm thinking King Saul and Samson, that there's some pretty strong characteristics about those two guys. That the Holy Spirit actually leaves them and they have no clue. Right? Anyways, let's take a look at these heavenly acts. And what we're going to see, we're going to see two symbols that are signifying what? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and what do we see first? And suddenly, were they ready for this? Were they in prayer and had they just prayed, hey, bring us the Spirit now? They weren't in control. Remember, we've already seen that. Jesus was in control. He's the one that said that this is going to happen. It wasn't predicated upon their prayer. It wasn't predicated on the fact that they were unified, or this, which are all good things. Please don't get me wrong. But it wasn't predicated on anything but the sovereign purpose of God. He was the one in control. They would have had no idea. That's why it just happened suddenly. That doesn't mean it was sudden for God. Right? Because God's purposes, He'd known from the beginning of time that, man, way back when, when He started Pentecost, Hey, check this out. Sometime later, this is what's going to happen on this day of Pentecost. Nobody has any idea of the significance of Pentecost. I'm going to bring it all in and I'm going to show, man, this is when the church of Christ is going to be born on this particular day. That's how incredible our God is. Suddenly, for them, but not for our God. And what do we see first? We see a noise like a violent rushing wind. The Greek is actually stronger than that. It could be translated like an explosion. Like boom! (laughs) Something like that, but much, much louder. It's a noise though. You know, for years I've always thought of this more as wind. And everybody's hair going crazy. And maybe the little kids having to hold on to their mom so they didn't get blown to the other side of the room. Or I, I don't know. But this says like a wind. That that doesn't mean that there was actually wind. In fact, I, I don't believe there was wind. Why? Because what was supposed to be significant was they heard it. Not that wind doesn't symbolize something important. It does. It symbolizes the very presence of God. And we see that. We see that both in the Greek and we see that in the Hebrew. As both in Greek and Hebrew, the word for Wind is the same as spirit and it's the same for breath. And actually in the, in the area, area where we worked in Papua New Guinea, it was the same. 
And you know, when, when, when I taught on this, we got to this place in, in Acts, and they took this talk and they ran far away from the text. And, and what they started saying was, oh yes, you're right. Every time that a big strong wind comes and this and that, that's God. He's here. What? No, no, that isn't what this is saying. This is like wind. Don't take it, go Like wind. Not that it was wind. And I think sometimes what we do is we switch things upside down like that. And we end up emphasizing the thing that we're not supposed to be emphasizing. Such as emphasizing how they spoke in languages instead of seeing that that's the Spirit doing that. And that they shouldn't be highlighted. The Spirit of God is the one that is highlighted throughout this text over and over again as this is all a backdrop to reveal what? That He has arrived. Why? Because you and I cannot see Him. Why? Because He is Spirit. Right? The only way that you know that He's there is if God did something like this. And so what He's first doing is He's getting their attention to let them know, man, there's a noise. That noise is symbolizing something. God's presence is here. Just as... Genesis 1, 1-2, when it says the Spirit of God was what? Was hovering over the waters. We, we also see it in Genesis 2, 7, where God breathes life into man, giving an impl- the indication that the Holy Spirit could also be understood there from the beginning as imparting life. That's what the work of the Holy Spirit... What was He doing? Hovering? He was waiting. Waiting to begin. When life was breathed in, the body was already there, already done. Just as in Ezekiel, with the... Valley of dry bones, right? God gives them flesh, gives them sinews and all this other stuff, but their their hearts aren't beating, they're not alive. Until when? Until the Spirit comes. That's the significance here. That there can't be life without the Spirit. Christ's church cannot be born without the Spirit. Man, God's Word is so clear. Like a rushing wind. And so now at the birth of the church, we see that the Holy Spirit has come to give life. But it's not just seen in, 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 in what they could hear. God actually gives them something else. Let's look at verse 3. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. They appear, that means to become visible. As in they weren't before, now they are. It's in the passive voice, which means that they weren't responsible for it. Somebody else did it. As a fire, that doesn't mean that it was going to burn their hair. They were, it wasn't real fire. Just as you look at Moses, right? With the burning bush. Well, it was burning, but it wasn't burning. It was fire, but it wasn't, it didn't burn up. What? That, that's God's presence. Don't get lost on, on, on this or, or overemphasize the fact that this was fire. It's a representation. Why? Because God is spirit. And he had to use something in order to communicate. He had come, that the Holy Spirit was there. You know, for a long time, I thought that the Holy Spirit doesn't arrive until verse 4. That it, it, it actually doesn't come. No, he's not there until verse 4 when the tongue starts happening. No, he's already there. We can see it back in verse 2 when he fills the house. That could be translated baptized. 
inundated. Think of the, the Spirit filling the house in such a way there's no way anybody could get away from it. And they were immersed in the Spirit. The Spirit was baptizing them, so to speak, and then indwelled them. For, for the longest time, I missed that. Is that significant? Yes, that is significant because that happens one time and, and only once. And when we go on to verse 4, we're going to see the filling. That's something that happens continually. And so the baptism of the, of the Holy Spirit isn't something that we pray for. It isn't something that, that we can conjure up. It's something that God does and He does it for every believer from this point on in history. Any believer born in this church age, this is a, a, a time of change. This is a new era that has come about. And that's what we're going to see. We, we, we know about fire. We know that it represents God's presence. We, we see it with Moses at the beginning. We see it with Moses at Sinai, right? Do you remember? If anybody even touches the mountain, they're going to die. That's how holy our God is. There's lightning, there's thunder. Everything's quaking, shaking. But do you remember how God appears? He appears on a cloud of flame and fire. Is that to show judgment? That's to show His presence. So don't misconstrue something like like Matthew and 3.11 or Luke 3.16 where it says that Jesus will baptize the Holy Spirit and fire. Those are two separate events. The first event is this one. When, when, when Jesus is going to use fire, that's judgment. That's going to happen later. And by God's wonderful grace, that judgment will not fall upon you and I for those of us that know Jesus is Lord and Savior. Remember, this fire is coming from heaven. This as like fire, what even fire. Notice too here what, what, what's happening. That these tongues as of fire dis, are distributing themselves. Distribute. It's, it's the Greek word for divide into separate parts. What, what we need to picture here is the Holy Spirit coming as one great flame and then dividing into many and then going to different individuals. Which individuals? Every one of them. What does that show? That shows the unity of the body of Christ. That we are a unified body. And have you ever thought why he uses something like fire and and, and a noise like wind? Again, it's because there was no other way for them to recognize that the Holy Spirit had come. And perhaps with, with the filling of the room, there could have been some that would have, well, maybe, maybe, maybe he missed me. And so God in his goodness allows these tongues like fire to, to come and land on each one of them to let them know all were included. All were included. And that is the same today. For from this point on, whenever somebody becomes a believer, the Holy Spirit indwells them. He becomes what? He becomes their seal, their deposit, their down payment, their earnest for the inheritance of what's to come. But is that all that the Holy Spirit does? No. The Holy Spirit continues to work in the lives of the believers. That's why He's the helper. He exposes sin. 
He convicts. He illuminates the Word. He works. And He does this. I think He does this. (laughs) Okay. The Holy Spirit empowers. That's what we're going to see in verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. It wasn't as they were giving utterance because they had no idea what these languages were. The Spirit was the one leading. The Spirit was the one doing this. What's the idea of filled? It's in the passive voice, so it's the idea that the Holy Spirit is actually doing the controlling. You see, unlike the baptism of the Spirit, which only happens once, the filling of the Spirit, which is the controlling of the Spirit, happens over and over again in the life of a believer if somebody is submitting to to his leadership, to what he is doing in, in and through that particular believer. And I could take us to to Galatians 5, and we could go through the fruits of the Spirit, and, and, and we could say those are manifestations that somebody is indeed indwelled by the Spirit as well as living by the Spirit, being controlled by the Spirit. All right, I could take us to Ephesians 5, and we could see there that, that what some of the manifestations are is thankfulness, worship to God, and, and, and other places. But I don't even need to take us outside of Acts to see that the filling of the Holy Spirit is something that happens over and over again. You see, these guys that are filled here in Acts chapter 2 are once again filled in Acts chapter 4. Peter himself is, is filled here in chapter 2. He's going to give this wonderful sermon. Well, in, in, in chapter 4, he, he does the same thing. And it says that he's filled by the Holy Spirit. If we were to look at the life of Stephen, we would see in, in chapter 6 that he is first identified as a man full of the faith and full of the Holy Spirit, meaning that he was filled by the Holy Spirit. But then when you fast forward to chapter and look at chapter 9, where he's dying and about to be martyred, what, is he, what does it say? It says that being full of the Holy Spirit, he died. And Paul himself, very similar, gets saved in chapter 9 of Acts that we're going to see. And it says that, that he was filled with the Spirit at that point. And then later on in, in, in chapter 13, he again is filled with the Spirit. So there is a distinction between the filling of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And we see this distinction even within the text here. That God was specifying to them and to us that, hey, this first event happened. That was signifying that the Holy Spirit had come that you wouldn't know about it unless God did something visual and audible for them to recognize. Which brings us to tongues. What does that mean? With other tongues, as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Could it be ecstatic Spirit language. I, I know that's, that's taught places that that's what, what this is and that across the board every time that's, that's what you see. We're going to see next week that that isn't what this is. 
This can't be ecstatic spirit language that nobody else understands and that you need an interpreter for, or this or that. It's not what we're going, what you would see in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, where where Paul says he he's concerned that if an outsider comes in, that people are going to think that they're out of their mind. It's not the same as what we see here, even though we're going to see that that some of the response is similar. They think they're drunk. Why do they think they're drunk? Because what they're doing is so beyond what would be the normal expected thing for Galileans. Galileans were supposed to be the nobodies. They were supposed to know nothing. Certainly not some far remote language that somebody from the Jewish dispersa knew. All they should have known was Aramaic and Greek. Instead, they start speaking in this other language. It was a real known language. And and did you know that within the the Scriptures, the book of Acts in particular, how many times tongues is talked about? I I think we talk about it a lot more than actually Scripture does. Take a guess. How many times tongues is actually mentioned and manifested in the book of Acts, the beginning of the church? If you think it's more than ten, you're wrong. If you think it's more than five, you're wrong. Three times. Only three. And actually, each time seems to be significant. And we see it here first in chapter two. And what's the significance? It's the birth of the church. Had to validate what was going on. And that's the way it validates it. Not only that, I think it actually sets everything off on the right foot as we're going to see next week. That it wasn't just for the Jewish nation. That it was going to go... that. The church was going to be established throughout the world. And we see that in the second occurrence of tongues, 1046 with Cornelius. He's a Gentile who's saved, and when he is saved, they are given the same gift of tongues. Possibly to validate that the gospel of Jesus Christ meant that the church would be established among all people groups, not just the Jews. And then the final occurrence is in chapter 19. And that's with disciples of John the Baptist who are basically functioning in kind of the Old Testament era. And so why it's significant is that they were looking back and they needed to be looking forward because a new era had come. And so it was kind of delineating, distinguishing them from this is what you used to believe, this is how you used to live, and and now this is a new time, a new era, the era of the church. But I believe there's even more significance that that we see in in, in God's Word to show that quite possibly the speaking in tongues isn't as big of an issue as we tend to think it is. And that is the fact that as you just look at the particular New Testament epistles, the books that different guys wrote, you, you see tongues mentioned in 1 Corinthians 13, but do you know that that was one of the first books that the Apostle Paul wrote, that's pretty early on in his ministry, around 55 AD. Ephesians, which was only written five to seven years later, when it talks about the gifts, it doesn't talk about tongues. And then if you look at, at, at Peter, First Peter, that, that was in 64. And the same thing. Spiritual gifts are mentioned, but it doesn't include tongues. It, it would seem from the Scripture that the gift of tongues passed away just as 1 Corinthians 13.8 said that it would. 
But, but don't be keying in on the wrong thing. The, the most important thing here is the Holy Spirit has come. And, and He has manifested Himself. And it's clear by what, by, by what they heard first in the wind. By then what they saw with the tongues as of fire. And then finally by what they said with their own mouths. And they knew for sure, man, something had to have happened. Something had to change because I'm now speaking a language that I don't know. This has got to be God. This baptism of the Holy Spirit thing that Christ talked about, that's what this is. So what what can we do with this? What can you take with you this week? Things to ponder. Just three. First, consider Christ's church this week. Does it seem important to you and significant? Something that you actually think about. And is it something that you're excited about? Because it's something that we should think about and it is something that we should be excited about because we are part of that church and we are part of that body. We are unified in that. And second thing, have you seen the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life? The fruit that I talked about earlier. And if not, why? Are you truly redeemed once? First off, that's the first thing you should ask yourself. And, and if you are redeemed, then why is fruit not being evident? The third, contemplate the Holy Spirit indwelling the life of a believer this week. That's what this is all about. This is a new era that has come. And think about the significance of that. And how incredible that is. That unlike any other time in the history of man, that in this present church age, those of us that know Christ, we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. That is an awesome thing. That is the very power of God, the very power that raised Christ from the dead, is the power that lives and resides within us. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for how well it teaches us. Even when we thought we understood. Even when we thought that this was simple. Lord, we pray that You would just continue to give us ears to hear and eyes to see what Your Word communicates to us that You would continue to allow Your Holy Spirit to teach us, to be manifest in us, Lord, that we would be filled by the Holy Spirit, controlled, and that others would see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, Lord, that they would be manifest, and that we as a body here at RBC, that we would grasp the significance of your church, Lord Jesus, and how we fit into this history and that this is where we begin. May you take us where you want to take us from here for your glory that the world may know that we serve a risen Savior in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. 
It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.